Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Okay, welcome everyone to Teacher Tales. During this episode, uh, my guest is Jessica, and Jessica is going to tell us a little bit about herself and um, where she's from and what she's teaching and maybe why she became a teacher. Hi, Jessica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So uh, I'm Dr. Jessica Nicholas. I'm originally from the Seattle area, and now I live and teach in central Illinois. Um, I did, I I have come back around to K-12 teaching after a foray into higher ed. And um, so I, I started out, I studied French and Spanish in college. I got my first master's in teaching. I taught high school Spanish and I really missed French and I really missed sociolinguistics in particular. So I moved across the country to central Illinois to go to the University of Illinois. Then I got my uh, my master's and my PhD in French linguistics. So I'm a sociolinguist. I specialize in variations of the French language and in acquisition of, of accents, essentially. Um, but that being said, I now teach high school French and Spanish, and I love it. And I'm happy that I am that I am where I am right now. That's wonderful. And I think you just educated a lot of people to what linguistics is, because sometimes with language teachers, you know, you say that and they're like, oh, you know, or sometimes you get the reaction like, oh, you know, so we have to really um, but they're not really sure what it is. Mm-hmm. So. As far as, um, you know, you're becoming a teacher, what drew you to it? Was it the passion for learning a language or that you were very good at it? What, what, what led you down the path of teaching? So I, I really liked French um, when I was, I started taking French when I was in ninth grade in junior high. And I, um, I was... I seemed to have an affinity for it. I was pretty good at it, but I really liked all of the diversity of places and of people that you can that you can access and experience through the French language. When I was in undergrad, after my first year of undergrad, I added Spanish because I knew that I would be more likely to get jobs if I also spoke Spanish. Uh, but I didn't initially intend to be a teacher. I thought that I wanted to do something relating to environmental science or community health or something like that. And I had kind of how you were talking earlier, a spark moment, an aha moment. Um, I was in Peru doing a health education internship 
when I was in undergrad. And with our group, we were working on getting a, a center set up for job training in a town in the Andes that had very high unemployment. And there were two little girls who were playing outside the building. And I went out to talk to them and thought, oh, like, look at these cute little kids, going to go out and talk to them. And I was wearing sandals, like saltwater sandal type sandals. And these little girls were wearing sandals that were made out of recycled tire rubber. And I was talking to them about their families. And one of them had trouble counting how many siblings she had because one had recently died. And then one of them asked me if I had shoes. And I looked down at my feet because I had sandals, you know, uh, not, not the same kind of sandals they did, but I was wearing sandals. And I said, yes, but I prefer sandals. And she looked down, really sad looking. And she said, I wish I had shoes, but Papa can't afford them. And today's Sunday, so there's no work. And I realized that in my naive notion of what people in other places must be like and the this primitivism idea of people living in poverty in the global south that they must be so happy and have all this wonderful community which is which is true a lot of them do but that i had been unknowing of of the suffering that was also happening and of the richness that was happening because I wasn't speaking to them in a language that they spoke. And if somebody else, you know, even maybe somebody from the group that I was with had gone out, they could have talked to these little girls, taken pictures of them because they're these cute little girls playing in the street in the Andes and not known that that was going on and that that was the story behind their shoes because of a language barrier. And that to me was the big aha moment of how important language is and how important language education is so that people can interact with others in languages that they speak. Not everyone can, should be expected to speak English. We need to also speak other languages in order to fully experience the world and to be able to help people or be helped by people um, in, in other communities besides the ones that we grew up in. Mm -hmm. Well, it goes to that. Uh, I think it's Nelson Mandela quote that's like, speak to a man in your language, it goes to his head, speak to a man in his, in his language, and it goes to his heart. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, yeah. yeah, that's the whole essence of it. And we need that more and more and more and more these days. Oh, so. absolutely. So I want to talk about, then, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and, and since then, um, I started doing a lot of translating. I started out, I translated a book as a senior project, a, sen a book by a Senegalese midwife um, as a senior project in college. And then I, when I came to Illinois, I started translating and then also interpreting uh, between French and English. Mainly, I, I work with Congolese people because that's the that's the main francophone immigrant community that's in this area translating legal documents a lot of the time and I also interpreted in court but the same kind of idea of the importance of language access and how it needs to go it can't just be expecting everybody to learn English it needs to go both ways absolutely absolutely when I 
uh, had my daughters, I didn't go back to the classroom. And what I did was I couldn't, I couldn't not do something and serve in some way, because that's, mm -hmm. I think, at the heart of teaching and most teachers as well. Mm -hmm. That's part of our calling. And so what I did was I started um, having classes in the evening uh, for business purposes, teaching uh, language and interpreting for lawyers and doctors mm -hmm. and the HRS and, you know, all of the, the social services that were out there. So that's really important. Yeah, it is. And, and just teaching them some basic vocabulary so that they could at least understand and try to reach out to the person, especially in the medical field. I mean, you always go back to your native language in a crisis. And, you know, if you're sick or you're in the emergency room, you need somebody who can at least try to be a sympathetic listener. Mm -hmm. and uh, show some interest in trying to make that communication and find out what's going on um, and all the emotions that are coming up and everything. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's, that's really important and a great need. Uh, and I understand that you do it as a volunteer. So mm -hmm. what a great service and what a wonderful heart you have to do that. And it's, it's life-changing for mm -hmm. them. Um, it's very life-changing. Um, so let's talk about who nominated you for Teacher Tales. Her, oh, her name Florencia. is uh, Florencia um, Henshaw. And this is what she said about you. So I just want to read it. And, um, and, and good thing it's not visual here because there would be a big red glow because you're probably going to be very um, embarrassed by what she says because it's very oh, glowing. So it's very touching. She says, Jessica is one of the most caring educators I have ever met. She has done and still does a wonderful job incorporating social justice in the curriculum, even within tight constraints. She also has been a mentor to LGBTQ plus students and a voice for immigrants and refugees, literally volunteering as a translator and interpreter, but also figuratively in raising awareness and cultivating understanding. So just like the standards and just like lesson, we're gonna unpack that. So <laughs> let's unpack that, that recommendation. And thank you, Florencia, mm, thank you for Florencia. that. So how do you incorporate social justice into your curriculum? And how is it, I'm kind of, kind of piggyback the questions because they kind of are, are related. How's it received by students, by admin, by parents, colleagues? Um, because sometimes that's a difficult thing to navigate uh, when you're introducing social justice issues, um, especially dealing with immigrants or language differences, anything that's different, even, you know, that people can be afraid of, you know, anything that they don't understand. And it's critical that we do it, but how do you introduce it? And then what's their reaction and how do you get them on board? Mm. So... Big, big questions. Um, That's why I said unpack it. So a little yeah. bit. Oh my. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I I do most of it a little. I 
I very rarely will start out a lesson saying, today we're talking about racism, for example, or today we're talking about homophobia. Um, in our curriculum in our district for foreign languages, we use almost exclusively authentic resources. So for those who aren't aware of what that is, there, th there are things that were written or that were created by native speakers of a language for other native speakers of the language. They're not made for learners of the language. And through which materials I choose to share with my students, they get some of that content as part of their language learning. Uh, so for instance, I could teach, I, I will, um, in my French classes, I will choose works of art or articles about people who live in other parts of the French speaking world. And I talk a lot about the colonial history that led to French being spoken in a lot of places of the world. And I talk about gender neutral language um, which is a, a, hot, a hot topic and a fast changing topic in both of the languages that I teach. Uh, so a lot of the discussions about, about social justice come out of looking at what, places, what people in other places and in other languages are doing as they wrestle with these topics. Um, so for example, after Black Panther came out. I don't know if you've seen the, the movie Black Panther. There's a mm -hmm. there's a scene where they're in a thinly veiled version of the British Library of the, the British Museum and <laughs> talking about how the artifacts were stolen from Africa. Uh, I found some articles that were about similar topics that were in French about the repatriation of artifacts. And so that was that led into a discussion of of who owns the art and what counts as art. Um, so through using authentic resources that are of that type, I'm able to have deeper conversations with my students and also tie in their own experiences um, as being members of a culture that is in contact with other cultures um, just by using the examples that come from other, other languages and other places. I think as language teachers, we have a great gift to be able to do that mm -hmm. and examine the products, practices, and perspectives, which is what defines culture. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of talk now about interculturality, but taking it even further than that, that social justice and kids are open to mm -hmm. talking about it. They're open to learning about it. I mean, I, I taught in the classroom for a long time and even 20 years ago, I would use art and music and dance and a lot of the products, you know, from the culture to talk about, you know, what their perspective was on it. Why did they use it? How did they use it? Where did they use, you know, the different things that they were doing? So I remember once, and I used to take students traveling over the summer to be able to get, be immersed in the culture and experience it firsthand. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, and so I can remember uh, teaching art in level four in Spanish, teaching about, you know, all of humanity and all the social justice issues throughout mm -hmm. humanity and history. And we were at the, um, the museum in Madrid that has um, Guernica. Mm -hmm. 
And my students, we had studied it in depth and the, you know, atrocities that occurred and the social injustices and the prejudice and racism and all of that stuff. And my students were discussing it with each other. Next thing, there was a huge crowd around them listening and asking them questions. And it was just one of those moments as a teacher that's like, Bravo, profe. I passed it on and they are going to pass it on. Mm-hmm. We underestimate sometimes children and mm-hmm. students and we need to embrace you know that they're very open mm-hmm. and that they are willing to look at things differently and it's not until sometimes I think after they graduate from high school and they go into quote unquote the real world if we don't give them those different lenses to look at things with a different mm-hmm. perspective they may fall into the old stereotypes and um, prejudices that they are not, you know, they're not being exposed to that enlightenment. And I really feel that's such an important part of education. And and it is what you are doing through your lessons and with your students. Do you have a, like a, like a a moment when you had that happen with your students where you had this, you just saw this, this light going off and their hearts opening up and just, they're being like, so impacted, you know, by what, what there, you were oh, doing? There've been a few little ones. Uh, one of the things that I think is really important because uh, like you mentioned, not wanting students to fall into stereotypes. And that's something that sometimes it's a little bit easier for them to do. Uh, if they just look at something at the surface level, you know, I, I talk about how, you know, <laughs> with, with my colleagues about how we're not just, this isn't just like, tacos and crepes you know there's a lot more than just what you see on the surface level but I try to emphasize to my students that they too are experiencing a culture and that they live in a culture and they get to choose which elements of their culture they value the most and which elements of the culture they think need to change and um and so that that's something that's very important to me um I think that see uh, to pick one um so i have training in immigration law and i and i volunteered well right now i right now i have a a paid gig there but i have in the past volunteered at an immigration law office and um i shared the the movie la misma luna have you seen that movie? Yeah, I, I played that movie for students a couple of years ago. Not this year with COVID. It became very complicated to do things like that. But um, students, I would stop the movie when there were things like, well, if we get married, then you can come here. Or talking about different ways for people to legally come to the United States. And I pulled up the visa bulletin and the, the uh, priority Um, priority categories bulletin and showed the students okay if they got married and he was this particular he had this particular status this is how many years she would have to wait in order to do it and they they see like oh they're currently processing things from 1998 for for this category and I think that 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 helped make the students the looks on their faces when they were like whoa like it really is, does take a long time. It is more complicated than what it looks like on the surface. Um, that was that was a big a big one that I I felt like it was it was impactful for some of the students to see that it's not as it's not as easy as what it might look like 
when you're watching the news. You know, it's one of those things that they happen, but you don't always like tag them in the, in your mind with the right with the right uh, easily accessible uh, memory frame. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you when you when that is the way you operate, and that's just kind of your daily experience, it it's just part of the daily experience, and it doesn't necessarily always stand out because it's a daily thing. And if you are mm-hmm. raising that awareness and having that social justice um, conversations about social justice and conversations about identity and about um, the choices we make every day and how we see those things, you know, how, how, how we're sharpening our lenses and our perspectives mm-hmm. uh, through what we look at. And we can choose to turn away, we can choose to hide, but that's not the best way to do it mm-hmm. um and so it's 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 really it comes down to introducing the kids to it and letting them explore it and mm-hmm. discover it and see what their perspective is on it and mm-hmm. it's really rewarding as a teacher to be able to see the kids uh open up like that mm-hmm. um and and especially when they come back and tell us like you know like I grew up in a family that, you know, we, you know, they were very, you know, racist or very biased, or they uh, didn't accept me because I'm gay. And yet I know that I had teachers that accepted me and that were my support or that um, helped me through difficult times and everything. So it's, uh, it's, we're more than just teachers of content. And I was thinking when you were talking about it, it's much deeper than that of the whole iceberg thing, Mm -hmm. you know, where we just, what's above the surface is not what we're doing as teachers. And I think that came out in the pandemic too. Mm -hmm. Um, For a hot second, everybody realized (laughs) how much teachers do Yes. It's that below the surface of the iceberg um, with social emotional learning with having kids belong, feel like they belong and um, uh, validating children and encouraging and inspiring them. And, uh, you know, all of those things about humanity and the, hu- you know, the human aspects and all of us, which is that intercultural piece. Oh, absolutely. hundred well. so, yeah. percent. And to, to be clear, like I, I've never give, I, I don't want it to make it sound like I give legal advice or anything. I was literally just pulling up the publicly available bulletins of Mm -hmm. where they were at in processing different kinds of visas from different time periods but just sometimes seeing the reality is is important for students and and to also kind of like you said that to trust the kids that they know a lot more than what grown-ups might expect that they do or might be- mm-hmm. might believe that they do. Uh, my students have very rich life experiences and and sometimes very difficult life experiences as we've all seen. So a lot of them have really come come to the surface over the pandemic. Um, and I think that the fact that I, I try very, very hard, like you said, to validate my students and I, I respect them and I love them. And I try to ask them about themselves. That's one thing that's in the uh, in the evaluation rubrics, you know, the the mo- the model of evaluation rubrics. What do you do to learn about your students? Well, I'm a foreign language teacher. Literally, the first thing you do is ask them to talk about themselves. It's a lot. It's it's a pretty 
easy one to do if you're paying close enough attention to what the answers are. Mm -hmm. And to put it in a context that's real and meaningful to the students, and that's any content area. I don't care if you're a math teacher, a social studies teacher, mm -hmm. science teacher, you have to make it real to the students and their world and everything. I know I was mentoring a young lady and um, I had gone out West and she was struggling in her social studies class because she was like, the teacher's boring and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, he just tells stories and I don't, I don't, they don't mean anything to me. So I was actually in um, South Dakota and I saw, I went to visit just, you know, travel, travel really expands your mind and is a real education too. Um, and I saw, oh, and I'm a crazy horse mm. monument that was being built. Very controversial, right near um, the Mount Rushmore. And a lot of what was done there too was uh, very racist and very unfair and biased. So I, she was texting me and then we would have a Zoom call once a week to talk about what's going on in school, kind of hold her accountable. And I, she, and I said, um, oh, you know, we went to the, you know, the Mount Rushmore and you've seen that in pictures before, the heads, you know, the four heads and who are they? And we got a chance to talk about that. And then I said, we went to the Crazy Horse Memorial. And she said, my history teacher just talked about him. Mm. And I don't remember what he said, but she went back to class the next day and wanted to ask him about it and learn a little bit more. So we're all teachers in some way. So parents, I invite you to do that sort of thing. Take your kids traveling. And, and if you can't do it physically, you know, for cost or time or energy or whatever, take them on virtual field trips, take them on a museum, you know, virtual tour and talk about those products, practices and perspectives and try to help them make those connections. Cause kids are, they're I think innately curious and they wanna make those connections and learn about things and find meaning in life because they haven't been here very long and they're still trying to find their way and they're trying mm -hmm. to find that meaning. So, uh, but teachers, it really falls on us to lead the way on that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so anyways, is there, um, something else that you really feel passionate about with teaching, like it's your real calling and purpose with children or with this system or <laughs> with, you know, the future, the difference you want to make in the world? Oh my goodness. Well, um, I, I want to continue expanding the capabilities of my students to communicate in other languages and with people who speak other languages and to see themselves as members of a language speaking community um, and expand their identities as being global citizens. We like to claim as educators and as adults that we are raising and educating global citizens. But the bottom line is that the majority of the world are not Anglophones. And the majority of the world are not monolingual. So if you want to raise global citizens, they cannot only speak English. I want to continue working with immigrant communities wherever it is that I am. And right now it's central Illinois. And I want to help validate my, my students of, well, 
validate makes it sound like it's something that I'm that I'm bestowing upon them. Like I'm this benevolent force that says you are validated, you are validated. No, they come pre-validated. It's just not us to notice that they are and to recognize and to tell them that we see that who they are already is valid and is correct. Um, that's a human need. I see you, yeah. I hear you. I don't care yes. what nationality, ethnicity, whatever. That's what we're mm -hmm. all longing for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but to continue doing that, and, and when you show that you're somebody who's competent, a lot of people ask you to do things. <laughs> and so I've had to kind of uh, direct my energies for toward a certain few areas. And for me, those few areas are, uh, are immigration and, and uh, healing racism where I can and healing uh, homophobia and transphobia where I can. Um, and so those are, those are the places where I've been directing my energy. And part of that is in student voice and asking the students. And I've been able to work with some really wonderful colleagues. I have, I work with some just phenomenal people, but I've been able to work with some wonderful colleagues to try to create programs that elicit student voice and, and student opinions to help shape what the school environment and what the community should be based on what they see. Um, so those are things that I want to continue doing completely. Uh, I also got to be the one of the founding faculty members of our school's first pride club. Uh, they had a, a gay straight alliance for a long time and then it dissolved several years ago and some students came forward and looked for teachers who they thought might be able to be allies for them. And so I got to help help with the formation of, of the Pride Club, which has been a really, really fun and really powerful experience. We met on Zoom this year because of the pandemic. Uh, and, but we got to do things like we all watched the Mars rover land in it, because that happened to be during the time that our club meeting was going to be. So we got to watch that. Um, we're starting to um, hopefully, knock on wood, crossing all the fingers, put together plans to try to take students abroad, um, which would be really, really cool. I'm also really wanting to help students learn more how to use their language skills in applied ways in the community. You know, if, if you speak some of another language, at some point, someone's going to ask you to translate for them. You might as well learn how to do it right and to do it well. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, advocate for service learning possibilities, whether it's a class or a club, for students to be able to use their language abilities in those ways. Um, so those are really big things. Um, I, so... I, I say that I came back to high school teaching, but that seems like like I failed at, at higher ed. <laughs> when you say like I came back to it after an eight year hiatus elsewhere, um, I'd, I thought that I wanted to be a French sociolinguistics professor. That's what I was gonna do. I was gonna go be a professor of sociolinguistics. I was going to save the world by helping people learn about varieties of the French language and destigmatize uh, non-standard varieties of language. And 
then the recession hit and the academic job market kind of kind of collapsed and I I pivoted and I was like well I have my teaching certificate I might as well you know look for uh, k-12 jobs and it turned out that I landed in a place that I really really love and I get to use I feel like I get to use my whole heart teaching high school kids and um, I love that there isn't an idea there's some competition that happens sometimes but it's not to the extent that I've seen at the university level where if I create materials with if a a high school teacher creates materials they're like use it here I made this cool thing use it let's talk about this thing that we can improve use it and in higher ed if you do research you don't want to sell anybody about it until it's published because you don't know who might steal your idea. And I'm, I, I've, my personality fits in a lot better in a more collaborative environment, I think. So I know that I ended up where I'm supposed to be, even though it might not be where I thought that I wanted to be, but I'm a much better teacher than I would have been if I hadn't gotten the PhD, I think. Um, not that, you know, not that you need a PhD to be a good teacher at all. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm a, a, a more, I have more life experience to contribute and more of the theory that I can contribute now because of my other experiences outside of K-12, uh, than if I had just continued on the K-12 path for the whole time. And I really, I really value that I was able to do both. Um, that being said, I think that the two systems don't really listen to each other very much. <laughs> Higher ed true, and, true, and true. K-12 don't listen to each other. They don't value each other very much. They don't listen to each other very much. They'll call on each other when they need to. But there are a lot, there seems to be this idea in college that whatever you did in high school has to be inferior. Um, I remember when I applied when I was applying for for master's and PhD programs one of the places I was accepted for for school even though I had a master's in teaching and I had been teaching high school for two years because my GRE score wasn't high enough I couldn't I was not qualified for a teaching assistantship at that college their loss that's all right right so I I went elsewhere which was which is good I I ended up working with some really wonderful people and uh and then when I went to K-12 again they didn't count my years of teaching at the college level towards seniority so the the two systems really do not talk to each other very much and that's the it's to the detriment of both I think because High school teachers and and high school programs have very elaborated, very well thought out decisions that they've made about why they do what they do. Uh, if they're, you know, if they're putting thought into it, which I think most of them do, given given the chance, they put a lot of thought and care into it, and they make it work for what it is that they think that their students need, and that's wonderful. Um, but just because the kids are younger, that's somehow a lesser version of education. I don't buy into that. Um, and then, you know, at the K-12, they'll call on college and say, well, you need to do this because you're going to need to know it for college. 
or you need to get used to doing it this way because that's what they're going to expect from you in college. And sometimes they don't really care. Like AP, for example. Come on, like AP, AP isn't going to get you to to a faster major or minor in college. It'll get you some credits maybe, and it's good practice. But yeah, I, I just feel like they don't really talk to each other very much, and that's kind of a bummer. Having been in having been in both and having had both of them look at me sideways because I was from the other one. (laughs) (laughs) My biggest, I think that one of my biggest missions, I guess, to put almost theological wording on it, is I know that I am an upper middle class white lady from America, from the United States of America, born here and grew up here. I have the tremendous privilege and responsibility that comes from the way I was raised and the place I was raised and the the opportunities I have had to provide opportunities and the and expansion of capabilities to other people who haven't had those same those same privileges and and I absolutely believe that that is that's like the whole reason that I'm here and everything that I do comes back to that what what is it that I can do from my my little bubble and my very limited beginning that can expand capabilities for other people Um, I I had the wonderful opportunity that I was I grew up in like I said I'm from the Seattle area I'm from a, a south a southern suburb of of Seattle and the area where I grew up in, m- most of the neighbor kids I played with were immigrants. And I was so in awe and so jealous of the fact that they could speak other languages. <laughs> and I thought that that was just the coolest thing ever. And the fact that's, that it gets played off as being a deficit, that, oh, you speak another language, that you, or you speak English with an accent, well, first of all, everybody has an accent, but if you speak language, another language with an accent, that means that you already have another language. That means that you already have a whole rich, wonderful life experience and a way of seeing the world and, and, and interacting with the world that deserves to be valued and celebrated. Um, so the, the, fact, the fact that sometimes diversity is looked at as a lack rather than an asset to me is very sad um and i want to use whatever whatever i've been given the tools that i've been given and the specific niche of talents and and energy that i've been given to to help bring allow some of those things to be brought forward and celebrated i love that that is an honorable mission and vision so thank you at the end i wish more teachers would just like i hope they're inspired by all of this and that their hearts and their minds open up to have that as their mission as well it's not just about teaching Mm -hmm. a content like science or math or facts and figures or memorize things it's all about yeah all the things we've been talking about i remember in teacher school um we had a day where where we went and as a whole cohort and we went to a high school and the principal, I think I want to say it was the principal asked us, well, what are you going to teach? 
And all of us thought like, well, I'm going to teach Spanish and French. I'm going to teach science or whatever. And he's like, no, you're not. You're going to teach students. And until I had had that experience of of I had I had to fill in some blanks and get really solid on my language myself to feel confident being able to do it. But it wasn't until I started working where I am now and um, our building uses restorative practices, that restorative practices model for a lot of, of manage, classroom management kinds of things. And it wasn't until that point that I realized how true that was. It's the student first. And until you know and understand your student better and, and respect and love them, nothing you try to teach at them is gonna stick. And that they're the most important thing there, not whatever grammar or vocabulary point you wanna enforce. Mm -hmm. um, but I had to kind of, I had to work, I had to work through some stuff of, oh, they need to make sure, I need to make sure that they learn this so that they get a good enough score on the test or else it's gonna make me look bad. Like, no, 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 no. Nothing you do is gonna, is going to make an impact if your kid is hungry or if your kid's family is going through something or if your kid is joining your class Zoom from their cousin's iPhone in the car because they don't have anywhere to stay today. None of, none of anything else you do is, is going to make an impact if you don't start with the kid. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so you ready for the little rapid fire at the end? You just complete my sentence and there's no right or wrong answer. It's here again, kind of reflects the whole idea of, you know, we all have our own perspective mm -hmm. and we have our experiences and that's, that's what makes okay. it all around. Okay. All right, let's go. All right. So my goal as a teacher every day is to be there for one kid. Yep. There's a YouTube video with a lady that um, says, be a champion today yeah. for one kid. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, the Rocky theme is playing in my head. As I'm <laughs> do, do, do. I want others to know that teaching is hard. It is that, especially in a pandemic. Oh, yes. My students are wonderful. They have a wonderful role model to inspire them. My greatest hope for all children is you're going to make me cry. I don't know. Uh, this is what gets everyone. That's why I always end with it. <laughs> Wholeness. 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 Yes. I love that. I love that. You're the first person to say that. Mm. And I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> so, but. Thank you, Jessica. I hope that this next year coming up is wonderful. Yes. Oh, should we talk about the bird thing? Yes, yes. Let's talk about your parrot. Okay, so I have an Amazon parrot named Merlin, and uh, he makes an appearance sometimes in videos in my class. No, I have not brought him to the classroom. I don't know if that would be allowed, and probably it would freak him out. But um, I've had for the last two and a half years a reward system of it's 
it's a kind of complex, but basically students can win free minutes at the end of the week if they don't have if they don't have their cell phones out. Um, and then also if if your class does not have their phone out for a whole month, then you can pick a song for my parrot to react to on YouTube. Um, this year with hybrid learning, I added in if nobody has their phone out of those who are in person and nobody is on an unauthorized YouTube video for those who are online for a month, you can pick a video for my bird to react to. And gosh darn it, this year, two classes did it for the first time. I kind of forgotten until a kid was like, when do we get to pick our song? Oh, wait, <laughs> forgot that I told you you could do that. So one of the classes picked the song Somebody to Love by Queen, and the other one picked uh, Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. And so we recorded that and put it on, on YouTube. And I, I'll send you the links. They, had, they got a kick out of watching him react. He doesn't really sing the songs. He just kind of warbles and bobs up and down and gets really excited, which is very cute. But I tried to bring my whole self to the classroom because I know that the kids deserve it. Yes, yes. And, and it's something for fun. And oh, yeah. Kids love animals. They love anything what? with animals. And it's a good way for them to get to know us better and make that connection mm -hmm. because it is all about the relationship. So Yeah, for sure. So, okay, everyone, I hope you took notes and you're going to be <laughs> getting a parrot soon, right? <laughs> to motivate <laughs> It could be dogs, cats, parrots, it can yeah. be, you know, your art, whatever your hobby is. Yeah, maybe paint a picture of whatever object the students nominate or something, depending on what you have available that you can do. Yeah, I had a one teacher that um, I interviewed that was talking about how she was using calligraphy to kind of calm the kids down oh. and to show how you slow down and things are... And now they really love calligraphy and want to mm -hmm. take it up as like a hobby and everything. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So our, our influence is far and wide and long lasting. You never know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I that's know. fantastic. So your students will always remember Merlin. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Jessica. This was thank great. Thank you so much, Linda. Hello again, everyone. This is your host, Linda Markley. And I'd like to invite you to nominate a teacher to be a guest on the podcast and to share their story. All you have to do is go to www.spiritofteaching.org and fill out the nomination form. Again, that's www.spiritofteaching.org. Also, please share, rate, and give some feedback to help us better serve you in the spirit of teaching. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to having you back next time on Teacher Tales.